Welcome to this week's Think Jewish. And before I announce this week's sponsor, I do want to make a correction. Our dear friends Binyamin and Rifka Goldstein, who sponsored last week, has brought to my attention that they don't live in Japan, they live in Singapore. So my apologies and uh, Baruch Hashem, really they're very special people and I just want to thank them. Today's Shi'ur is sponsored by Yoel Pasek, which used to be Pesach. And it is Le'el Nishmat, in memory of his father Mordechai, the son of Shlomo. And may she have long and great life. His mother, who's going for a surgery on August 30th, may this be an honor for her to have a complete, successful surgery and for Shalema, Sarah Leah Bat Rifka. Okay, so please, again, all the blessings you make on the refreshments, really special refreshments that he bought tonight, please have in mind these two people um, whose memory and honor he is uh, dedicating this. Also, what we've done in the past is, if anyone wants to quickly mention, but really quickly, mention a name for a Rafua Shalema, um, to dedicate this class in memory of their speedy recovery, please go ahead and say now the name and the mother's name. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, I'm going to mention my own brother, Moshe Meir Ben Chana. May he have a complete Rafua Shalema. Okay, tonight's class is titled The Secret Garden. Who over here knows? about the book that was written in 1910. It started, finished in 1911, written by Francis Hodgson Burnett. It then later became a movie and then again became a movie in 1993. It's called The Secret Garden. It's for kids, correct. You've heard about it? Okay. Yes, became a play, became a movie, and you need to know this book, play, movie to understand tonight's shiur. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the story in short, because I'm going to use this story to understand a very specific detail in the Hasidic teaching of how the life's journey between the animalistic soul and the godly soul takes place. So before I get into the Jewish Kabbalah of it all, I want to just briefly share with you the story for those who never got a chance to read The Secret Garden or watch the movie or see the play. So. Here's the story, and, and just in brief. There's a girl, Mary, who's living in one place of town with her father and mother. There's an accident, her father and mother are killed, and she is sent to her uncle. And her, uh, his aunt, her aunt passed away, and just with her uncle. And she's kind of like a rough, miserable kid. And, uh, or should I just say, difficult disposition. And there she gets friendly with one of the people that work there by the name of Martha. And she comes across two things. She hears that there's a secret garden. There's a secret garden which the mistress of the house, the one that uh, her aunt used to love and take care of when she was killed in a car accident. So the husband, her uncle, locked the garden, let it grow over the door. No one knows where the door to the garden is, and he buries the key. That's one thing she finds out. And she's intrigued, and she's looking for the secret garden. Another thing is that there's a sound in the house continuously of a crying child. And it seems to be that everyone is specifically ignoring the sound of this child or that this child even exists. So she does her little research and what does she find out? With exploring, she finds her cousin by the name of Collins who has a spine injury and is left upstairs in an attic room, never allowed to come out. She befriends him. And little by little, she goes up every single day to talk to him, tell him stories. Eventually, she admits to him that she found the key and the door to the secret garden. And they decide that he needs to be brought into the secret garden. And they put him in a chair. They take him out. And slowly but surely, he starts healing in the secret garden until finally his dream is that when his father comes back, he will walk to his father. And that's how the story ends that there comes a time when his father comes back from a trip and sees that they found the secret garden and looks at the secret garden. He sees in the secret garden this Mary and this Collins and he turns away, he turns around to walk away because he can't deal with it, the emotions of this was his wife um, who passed away, his favorite garden and the boy gets up and everyone watches as he chases his father. And that's the story of the secret garden pretty much in short. For those who read it, was I loyal to the theme? 
Okay. I'm going to play with this because I want to introduce you to a very problematic concept. I once read a book by a very great lawyer. I gotta remember his name, Geraldine, I think. I don't remember his name. He wrote a book, How to Argue and Always Win. Um, he's a famous guy who represented the lady that was banished from her country, the one with the million shoes. Whatever, you know who I'm talking about. Okay, I'm sorry for not looking up the exact name before the class. But in that book of how to argue and always win, he has a specific chapter about domestic arguments. And he introduces here a very difficult scenario. Because even though we all talk about the win-win, but we're okay if there's a win-lose as long as we're on the win side. The problem with domestic arguments is that there is no win-lose. There's only win-win and lose-lose. Because if you're arguing with your spouse and you win, which means that he or she lost, it's not gonna be a friendly situation. So again, it's a lose-lose. So there really is no way to have a good win-lose situation. So it is only win-win or lose-lose. And that's how he introduces the difference of all arguments with the arguments of the domestic between husband and wife. What I'd like to introduce to you is, according to Tanya, there's another situation which is exactly the same. Because if you look in Tanya, he talks about how he sets up the metaphor that your body is a city and there's two kings. There's one king in the brain, which is the godly soul, and there's one king primarily in the left side of the heart, which is the animalistic soul, okay? Now, this war goes on between these two kings, but we have a little problem here. You've got to end up with a win-win situation because for us, if you're going to go ahead and kill your animalistic soul, you're gonna end up in a lose-lose situation because the animalistic soul is the power of passion. So in the real structure of Tanya, we're not looking for anyone to die. We're not looking for the godly soul to die, nor are we looking for the animalistic soul to die. Now, parenthetically speaking, there's another book that Alter Rebbe wrote, and he gave it to a very holy man called the Shpola Zayda, who said it's too holy for this world. When I die, I'm taking it back to heaven with me. And so it was when he died, a fire broke out in the Alter Rebbe's home, and those manuscripts were burnt. That was called the Book of the Tzaddik. Just like he wrote a Sefer for the Intermediates, the Benini, which is the Tanya that we know, he also wrote a book, Sefer Shal Tzaddikim. Now, in the book of Tzaddikim, there's a total different story. Because even in this book, he mentions in chapter 10, the life of a Tzaddik, there's a different rally. Over there, we quote that King David did kill his animalistic soul. There's death in my heart which means it goes on the animalistic soul because he killed it with fasting. That's a tzaddik. You and I do not want to kill our animalistic soul. Forgive me for the example, but if you know what a lumbotomy is, you know what a lumbotomy is? They used to do it. Today it's immoral, it's, it's cruel. But what they would do is they would take out the front lobe of your brain and that would keep you without any feelings. So if we take away the animalistic soul, so to speak, it would be like a lumbotomy. And that's not what human life is all about. When it says, love God with all your heart, the double bet, because we need to have the passion of the animalistic soul involved. So we're not looking to kill one. You kill the godly soul, you're, as they say in French, in Gahaktasaurus. You kill the, God, the animalistic soul, then you're, you're also in trouble. So what are we dealing with here? What is this war? There is no, it's like what we spoke about in the how to argue and always win. You've got to have a win-win situation here. This question, I sat and I spoke with one of the great teachers in Israel to just share with me. He directed me to two discourses from the previous Rebbe. And then after he told me, learn it and then come back. And we sat and we spoke for quite a while, for a couple of hours. He just, he really set me straight on this. That's what tonight's class is all about, what he shared with me. I'm gonna to introduce to you characters. We're gonna go back to the story of the secret garden. 
and we're going to find out what the month of Elul, the king in the field, and I'm going to rephrase that tonight as the month of the garden. What's going on here? We're going to view for tonight Collins, the sick boy, the one with the spine problem, who was locked away, and everyone ignored his cries. For tonight, we're going to view him as the godly soul. He is the godly soul. And the reason I say that is because most of us really believe that our godly soul is not up to what life demands today. It's the conscious that's very weak, fragile, too pure. You can't live life like that. You gotta know how to have a white lie, gray lie, a little bit of black lie. We treat our godly soul like something you put into the showcase. You know that very expensive salad bowl that you never put on the Shabbos table? It's the one you put in the showcase. And that's what we do. Most often when we hear the cries of our godly soul, something we would call our Jewish conscience, very often we shush it, we ignore it, we deny it, we make believe it isn't there. Because most awkwardly it shows up in the worst times. So we're going to treat Collins today, who's up in the attic, who's got a spine injury, who most of us make believe doesn't exist. We're going to treat him as the godly soul today. Okay? Then there's the animalistic soul, which is the rest of the household. But who is Mary? Who is Mary going to be in tonight's Shi'ur? She's the girl who doesn't ignore the godly soul. She's the girl who hears the godly soul, goes up to the godly soul, learns of the godly soul sensitivities, understands that the godly soul needs to be brought into the garden. We'll soon talk about what the garden is in tonight's shiur. Who is Mary? So here is a soul that you probably did not hear of. It's not mentioned clearly in Tanya, but it is well discussed in Hasidus. There is a third soul besides the two souls. When you learn Tanya, you're learning the story called A Tale of Two Souls, the godly soul, the animalistic soul. But in other places in Hasidus, it will introduce to you another soul. To understand who this other soul is, we're going to go to a certain statement that that same metaphor in Tanya is followed up by. So we said there's the Ir Katan, there's a city that is you. Then there's the king called the godly soul. He wants, like every king, kings don't share their control. A king has to have absolute. You need to be a subject of a king. So these two kings are fighting for complete dominance. What does complete dominance mean? It means over your intellect, over your emotions, over your thought, speech, and action. They want all five levels of your infrastructure to belong to them. That means control your thoughts, control your speech, and control your actions. Even more than that, start learning how to redefine your emotions. What is love and fear? Love and fear are two gifts to serve God with. Not to worry about, am I getting older? Am I losing my beauty? What's about my financing? Fear of all those things, fear of shame. That's not what really fear was all about. That's the animalistic, which is egocentric driven. That's what it worries about. The divine soul has a total different understanding of fear. It's the fear of standing in front of the truth of all truths. One time, Dr. Weiss, who was the Rebbe's heart doctor after 1978 with the heart attack, so he asked the Rebbetzin in this month of Elul, they had to do a certain procedure and it would be painful. So he asked the Rebbetzin, is the Rebbe, your husband, afraid of pain? And she said, my husband is not afraid of pain, but he's extremely afraid of the high holidays that are coming up. A different definition of fear. So these two kings are fighting. The godly soul wants total dominance. He doesn't want you to be afraid of anything other than God and God's ways. I, I want to just make this practical because a lot of time we talk about these abstract fear. I want to tell you what it means. What it means is that there are people here in Florida, and this is, I'm not pointing fingers here, but they make a very harsh decision. There are Jewish schools here, and they feel that the secular education of the Jewish school is not up to par 
with the local crop school or whatever public school, and they have to make a decision because their greatest fear of every Jewish parent is that my child will not have the degrees that they need to be able to provide for their family. When I speak to them about this, and this is a valid fear, by the way, there is no justification for any Jewish school not to be secularly studies on par with every other school. But let's talk about a question. Are you afraid that your son's not going to know how to run a Pesach Seder? Isn't that a fear? Which fear is more real for you as a Jew? So there are some Jews that their understanding, just because of their upbringing, my son's going to have a more difficult time earning a living because maybe the secular studies he or she is having isn't the best. But that's something I'm going to take a risk on because I have a greater fear. I have a greater fear that my son's going to grow up and not know how to run a Jewish home. You follow two sets of fears? They're both real. One's driven by the animalistic soul and one's driven by the godly soul. So these two kings are really fighting over the dominance of your mind, of your heart, and of your thoughts, speech, and action patterns. Then the Alter Rebbe says, okay, so who makes the choice? There's two judges. They're each giving their opinions. Who's the third judge who's going to make the choice? <laughs> that would be like a, a therapist question. Who's the real me? There's two voices in my head. Who's the real me? But for today, I'm not even worried about who's the real me. Who's going to be the tiebreaker? Who's going to decide what in practicality we're going to do today? So the Alter Rebbe quotes a Gemara, which is very difficult to understand. If God would not help us, we would never overpower our animalistic soul. Now, obviously, that, problem's very, that, that answer is very problematic because where does freedom of choice come in? So the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe has a whole discussion on what he means. We can talk about that in the Q&A. But what I really want to get to is not the Alter Rebbe's answer in Tanya, but his grandson's answer, which is the Tzemach Tzedek. He says, who is the third judge? The third judge is something called Nefesh Hasichlit. Something that's, wow, where did that come from? We heard of two souls. Now introducing a third soul. This third soul is the intellectual soul. I would like to present Mary tonight as the intellectual soul. And that is why she's the one that finds him in the attic, doesn't ignore him, relates to him, and knows how to help him out. To understand that, we're going to get back a moment. We set up the animalistic soul and the godly soul as stark enemies. It's not true. The animalistic soul is not the Yetzirah, the two different things. The animalistic soul is simply a college student. What do I mean when I say a college student? They understand one language. Excitement, party, feel alive, only have one life to live. That's what it's all about. It's just a child that likes excitement. And when the godly soul says, don't do that, he really doesn't get it. Why? Why should I not do this? And I'm not even talking, let's say, about a sin. Let's just talk about an overindulgence of that which God allows us to do, which is the beginning of all problems. Overindulgence and kosher stuff lead us to unkosher stuff. That's why there's a specific mitzvah that says, sanctify yourself with that which is permissible. The previous Rebbe once said, the Chassidim had a saying, what's forbidden is forbidden. What is permissible is unnecessary. So this concept of the godly soul and the animalistic soul, we're not talking about the Yetzirah hara. The word hara means bad. There's nothing in the sentence of nefesh habahamit, which equals bad. So what is the nefesh habahamit? The nefesh habahamit is driven by passion. I want what I want, and I want it now. Not because I want to rebel about God, nothing. So there's the college student who knows that there's a Chabad rabbi on campus and says to himself, one day when the time comes, I'm going to go to classes. But I didn't choose this college 
because there's biblical classes here. I actually chose this college because I heard it is party town. That's what I'm looking for, alive. These are my days. These are the times to do all the crazy things in the fraternity and all the groups and all the other stuff. And we're still keeping it kosher, but it's party time. And therefore, the animalistic soul doesn't understand the godly soul. He doesn't hate it. Let me give you an example, just a practical example. How many people in this room just have the image that a rabbi is a stern old man with a long white beard who just doesn't get it? We just have that picture. We just have that picture. It's the Jewish version of a monk or a nun. It, it's not like I have anything against him, but he just doesn't speak my language. He just doesn't speak my language. So what's really happening between the animalistic soul and the godly soul is the Mac and the PC just aren't communicating. That's all that it is. They don't hate each other. They're set against each other because their definition of reality, which is through their perception, are absolute antithetical to each other. The godly soul doesn't understand why you would blow the amazing opportunity of this world, which is the garden in which you can plant everything for God. You can't do mitzvot in the spiritual world. You can only do it down here. So what are you doing chasing timely pleasure when I'm offering you eternal life and eternal pleasure? He just doesn't get it. How stupid can you be? Don't you see what I'm offering you? My sister, God bless her. My sister had a famous saying when she grew up, and we all teased her. She used to say, a minute on your lips, a lifetime on your hips. She was the girl that ate in the restaurant a little piece of dessert, and when we came home to schmooze, she was doing sit-ups. That's just the way she understood things. There's a minute on your lips, but a lifetime on your hips. And the godly soul is telling you that. What are you doing? There's nothing that this world can offer you in pleasure that's going to be eternal. Most of the stuff we enjoy is usually followed either the morning after or when we get on the scale by a huge krechs. Why did I? That's what we normally do. So the godly soul doesn't get it. What are you doing? You quetched about this last week. You regretted it. You said you're not going to do it again. What are you doing? While the animalistic soul is the exact opposite. This is fun. Why shouldn't I have fun? You only live life once. So the real problem is that they don't understand each other. That is why, I don't know how it is now, they're getting stricter with the alcohol on campus, but that is why most Chabad rabbis on campus will get through to their students through a Friday night bash or a Purim spiked Kool-Aid. It's very simple. Why? Because all of a sudden, this guy invites his roommate to the Purim party. He says, you got to be kidding, right? You're asking me to go party with that, the rabbi with the beard? <laughs> no, thank you. I don't dance with men. That's usually how it starts. And what's the answer? The answer is no, 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 no. Really, this is Purim. There's no speeches. There's no sermons. There is drinking. There is partying. There's masks. There's fun. And, you know, the guy is not such a believer. The rabbi's always got to have a, some string attached. He says, no, I'm telling you. It's nighttime. He can't even ask you to put on tefillin. This is going to be fun. <laughs> so, okay. He comes to the party, has a Jewish blast, wakes up the next morning, and in his hangover, what does he think? I didn't think that a Jewish experience could be fun. I thought it's either reading from a book or listen to some outdrawn sermon, or wrapping up saying some words in Hebrew that I don't even know what it means, it, it just didn't click. Wow. So for the first time, who is connected to Judaism? The animalistic soul. It's the first time the animalistic soul says, hey, I'm not against Judaism. I'm against boredom. I'm against too much self-control. That's all I'm against. I didn't know Judaism could be fun. 
please put me on your mailing list. Not for services, not for classes, but for great Friday night dinners and good parties. And that's how it starts. So what we're really focusing on in this chapter of Tanya that talks about the two kings is not the world war that we may think. It isn't about killing half your psyche. It's not. It's actually about learning to get the two poles of your brain to start connecting. And when I say two poles here, I don't mean what we talk about bipolar. I actually mean the two poles of passion versus divine. Can the two meet? Can you be passionate about Jewish things? Because if you can, you've brought them both together. To do that, we need Mary. We need the intellectual soul. Because the intellectual soul serves like that connecting piece. The intellectual soul, by definition, is intellectual. It can hold ground, appreciate, and interact with the godly soul. But the intellectual soul also gets excited. Now we're talking about someone that speaks both ends of the language. It's able to communicate with the godly soul because it's able to have an intellectual conversation. You ever try to have a conversation with a child who just wants and you gave them a million reasons why they can't and what do they answer you? Usually it goes something like this, but I want. Yeah, but we just discussed this. Uh-huh. So, but I want. That's the animalistic soul. It's not arguing with you. It just looks at you, you know, with the puppy eyes and says, but I want. What don't you get? I heard your whole speech. Since Abram Lincoln, there wasn't such a beautiful speech. But what don't you get? I want. What are you going to answer to that? It's not safe for you. It's not good for you. That, but I want. Because the animalistic soul doesn't have that type of intellectual capacity. The animalistic soul, like an animal, has intellect which is built on very simple things. Eat, don't be eaten, and reproduce so you keep your species alive. That's all. There is no sacrifice for a greater good. Animals don't go on diets so they can look great. That whole notion doesn't exist. That takes an intellectual capacity of some level. Give up A to get B. And that's what the godly soul is trying to say. Give up temporary physical pleasure for eternal life and eternal pleasure. But the animalistic soul just shrugs its shoulders and says, I don't get you. I want. The intellectual soul is capable of understanding. The nefesh hasichlis is a total different dynamic. It's the dynamic that understands and gets excited about understanding. Now, of course, I always go to the extreme so we can understand this. Most of us in this room would think that a geek is a geek. That's what he or she is, a geek. You know, they always got those glasses that should have been put to sleep many decades ago. A geek. And we think that geeks don't know how to have fun. They're not cool. They don't party. They don't pick up the girls. They don't pick up the boys. They're, they're in a different realm. They're geeks. There's the geek squad. But do you know that geeks have great pleasure from the stuff that they like to understand? They will get excited about some conversation in computers that you and I fell asleep eons ago. They lost us. We gave each other the eyes. Oh, here he goes again. But he's like so alive and you don't understand. We had this new breakthrough with the X's and the zeros and the, the fuzzy. It's unbelievable. And you're like, uh-huh. Are you done yet? Good. Guys, you want to go out? But they do have passion. They have pleasure. The intellectual soul does understand the form of passion. So what happens here is that the intellectual soul is the first in your psyche to be from your physical side that will be able to hear the cries of the soul because it can relate to its intellectual cries. So what happens in the story? 
everyone denies, ignores the cries of Colin. Why? Because they can't relate to Colin. Again, metaphorically speaking, Colin is the godly soul. They're going about life just thinking, all right, it's just a Jewish thing to hear the cry. But don't worry, it gets better because you get used to ignoring it. And that's what happens. That's what happens to all of us. The first time we step into a non-kosher restaurant, the first time we do something, the first time we went somewhere Shabbat when we promised we're not going to. So Collins is crying, but don't worry, you'll get used to it. And you just learn to ignore it. Because we don't really understand it. What is so bad about these things? So what really happens is the first part of you that will ever hear the cry of the godly soul of Colin is your Mary. It's the part of you that doesn't just want to have animalistic parties. And I don't mean here animalistic as forbidden again. I mean it as egocentric. Just make me feel good, anyway, anyhow. This is the part of you that's human, not divine, human. It's the part of you that says there's got to be more to life than hangovers. There's got to be more to life than shopping for shoes. That's that intellectual side of you that begins to hear, who's that crying in me? Who's that that feels crippled and locked up in an attic? It's the first one that relates to the godly soul. And that's why as a human being, what we really need sometimes to connect with our spiritual side is just to quiet down. Just quiet down the partying. Take it easy. Let's do a different type of pleasure. You know, I get to speak to teen girls in the high school. And today I can't even use this example because these girls don't even know who these people are no more. But I used to tell them, I understand you girls want to look like Paris design. But coming out of Paris, there's one designer who makes clothes for one girl called Madonna. Then there's another designer that makes clothes for a girl called Princess Di. Of blessed memory. They're both from Paris. Now you tell me, which do you want? We're not talking about divine yet. We're talking about intellectual soul versus animalistic soul. So I don't want to look like an ancient babushka. Got it. But can we really embrace maybe just a little bit of the intellectual soul? Princess Di didn't look like your Ebbetson, but totally different than Madonna. You see what I'm saying? The difference between animalistic soul and the intellectual soul? So because the intellectual soul has the capacity of reasoning, if we just quiet down. So I'm going to share with you. I read the biography of the Canadian who started Cirque du Soleil. And the interviewer writes that one of the things that this guy always did was have the music pumping very loud. And he asked him, why do you always listen to the music so loud? His answer was, so I don't hear the voices. Because he was always living at the intense extreme edge of the animalistic soul. This is a guy who was partying very unkosherly, drugs, everything else. So he needed noise because he didn't want to hear the soul that you and I are talking about today. The intellectual soul was only going to get in his way. We need to write a biography that's the exact opposite. Every once in a while, we need to quiet down the radio. Every once in a while, we have to quiet down the hoo-ha from the internet and from the world. Allow Mary to hear the crying of Collins. Allow your intellectual soul quiet space so he or she can hear your godly soul. Once the godly soul is heard, once your neshamas cry, 
Once your neshama's thirst and starvation is understood, we're now in a whole different realm. Now it's time to go into the secret garden. Because that's where your godly soul gets to heal. And I'm going to put a pause here for a second because we're going to talk about this garden. But before we talk about the garden, I want to share with you something. I'm going to share with you a really interesting story that I was part of. I spent two years in Venezuela, sent by the Rebbe, blessed memory, 1987, 1988, 1989. Two years between those three years. There was a family there that I learned with every week. He was becoming Shomer Shabbat, and she wasn't interested in becoming Shomer Shabbat. He was Israeli, she was Venezuelan, and when I spoke to her about it, because he kept on asking me, speak to her, speak to her. When I spoke to her about it, she told me, I have nothing against Shabbat, but I grew up in Venezuela, and if you didn't have a second house in Florida, and if your parents didn't have this and that, you were not part of the clique. So it really takes a lot of money for your kids to be part of the clique. We have, they had two toy stores at the time. Toy stores make money on Shabbat. She was straight up. Again, not an enemy of Shabbat. Just she doesn't want her kids to go through the pain that she went through. One week, the husband comes over and says, Avrumi, do you mind if this week, instead of you learning with us, can this other boy, a classmate of mine from Jerusalem, who today, thank God, has a beautiful Chabad house and a school in Jerusalem. His name is Mendy Friedman. He should live and be well. And do you mind if Mendy Friedman does the class tonight? I said, sure, no problem. Mendel Friedman gives the class. The class is over. And for the first time in her life, she's willing to entertain the thought, maybe Shabbos is the thing for me. I'm like, Mendel, <laughs> what do you do here? He says, I'll tell you the truth. She kept on saying to me, but if I keep Shabbat, I'm going to lose money. So I told her. I said, I know that people are going to tell you that it says in the Gemara that the money that you make on Shabbos is anyway going to go for not good things, this and that. He says, don't listen to that. He tells her, let me tell you the facts of life. You keep Shabbat, and your bookkeeper is going to tell you that you lost a lot of money. So she's like looking at him like, yeah. And he just looked at her and shrugged. That's the price of keeping Shabbat. And I was like, and that worked? <laughs> and he said, yeah, that worked. <laughs> she wasn't being sold, no promises, no curses, no nothing. She was sold the reality. It's not easy to be a Jew. That's it. Why am I telling you the story now? Let me share with you. If you're going to quiet down the party noise in your head, and you're going to take a chance of letting your intellectual soul be heard, hear the cry of the godly soul, I want you to know that your life is going to change. I'm not tricking you. A huge part of your South Beach life is going to come to an end because it's just not going to be what you like no more. Once you allow the quieting down, intellectual soul rises up, here's a whole higher dimension, your life is going to change. It's very clear. Where you're going to go out as a single is going to change. How you dress, what image you're giving of yourself is going to change. Princess Di wasn't Madonna. It, there's going to be changes you're going to make. So I don't want to think that I'm tricking you. No. I'm not spiking your punch. I'm telling to you, if you have what it takes to quiet down the noise in your head, give the intellectual soul its clean desk to be able to express itself, to be able to hear the godly soul, your life is going to change. What I offer you is the inner peace you've always wanted but never were able to pursue because that means the partying has to stop. South Beach partying, inner peace, aren't good friends. So I just want to be clear with you. Now that we said that, let's talk about the garden. So we dressed up the situation. Everyone who doesn't even hear Collins, who has learned to completely ignore Collins, is the animalistic soul. 
Not because it doesn't like Collins, it just doesn't communicate with Collins. Then finally, Mary comes along. By the way, she meets a person, Martha, who offers her that space that the intellectual soul needs to develop. She hears the cries. She connects with the godly soul. She understands the godly soul, hears his pain of starvation and of thirst, and realizes we need to get Collins into the secret garden. So what is the garden? So I'm going to share with you my own interpretation. There's a great man called the Shlach HaKadosh. The Shlach HaKadosh wrote a book called Shnei Luchot Brit. In that Shnei Luchot Brit, he talks about a garden. You know which garden he talks about? How many Torah portions are there? 53. What are the letters for 53? Gimel Nun. What does the word Gimel Nun spell? Gan. He talks about Gan Parshiot. Now, parenthetically speaking, I want to tell you a little secret that many people don't know. There's really 54 Torah portions, if you count, not 53. So why did the Shlach HaKadosh write 53? Because there are two mini Torah portions called Nitzav and Vayelach. One has 30 verses and one has 40 verses. They're really meant to be one. But in a year where we have a Shabbat in between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, if we don't break it in half, we're going to end up finishing the Torah before Simchat Torah. So only in those extreme cases do we take one Torah portion, crack it in half like the middle matzah of your Passover Seder and use it separately. But in truth, there's 53 Torah portions. The Shlo did not make a mistake. So the Shlo HaKadosh says, there is a garden, Jews. There's a beautiful garden. And it's called Gan Parshiot. Now, go tell the passionate party boy that's within you that we're going to have a great time in this garden. Have I found a garden for you? Take out the Chomish. You obviously need a developing of a taste. Your animalistic soul is going to get cynical. It's going to say, tell you, I'm suffocating here. I'm dying. Would you get out of this shul? It's going to do that. But if you have patience for a journey of a development of a higher conscious you, if you want to know a different type of partying, one that when you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you don't say, ah. One that really can take you to a total different level of pleasure. Yes, of course, there was a time when we all loved metallic music. But then there's an age where it's just, oh my God, that noise. There's just a time we look for something else. Of course, there was a time when we loved the fast food on the run. But then there's a time where we want fine cuisine. Of course, there was a time that we wanted to do all the no-nos on the beach. But then there comes a time that we enjoy fine art. If you just let it happen, stop worrying so much about what you're leaving go. You're not dying. A little bit of transformation. Learning Torah, if you do it like a mensch, Find the parts of Torah that talks to you. Find the parts that intrigues you. Stop being afraid of being a Bible geek. Don't worry about it. You guys are really cool. You're not turning into geeks anytime soon. But what's about these amazing parts? There's Maimonides, there's Talmud, there's Hasidus. There's so many levels of layers of layers of understanding the weekly Torah portion. It's wild. It's really wild. There's a reason why the Talmud is called an ocean. Because you swim those waves and you're surfing USA like you've never seen before. It's just a different type. Let me talk to you about a different emotional journey. Everyone looks for intimacy, right? That's really the only reason why we want to tolerate another human being in our life. Besides having kids, there's another reason. It's just intimacy. Let me introduce you to an intimacy that if you do this right, there is no intimacy that equals because there's no sp spouse in the world who's going to perfectly fit you. There's always the annoying stuff that comes along with it. We call it baggage. But let me introduce you to an intimate relationship which has zero baggage. You know what that is? The intimacy of prayer. But the intimacy of prayer takes really a lot of work. The intimacy of prayer means 
that if prayer starts at 9.30, do not show up at 10.15, wondering why is he still talking? I thought I was going to miss the sermon for sure. No. If you want to experience the intimacy of prayer, you've got to be welcomed into another garden. This other garden called Pardes, which is actually an orchard. It's actually interesting. Maimonides talks about Hasidus, secret teachings, as taking a walk in the garden. When we hear the story of those four sages, one came out alive, Rabbi Akiva, one died, one went cuckoo, one left the religion. What does it say? They went into the orchard. When the Rambam says, study Talmud and then go into the teaching of Chassidus, what does he say? He says, first eat meat and fish and then take a walk in the garden. You want to experience real intimacy? The one that after the first three months, you're starting to get annoyed that he's texting you every 10 minutes? We all love the intimacy, but then it wears off. All right, guy, give me my space. You're choking me to death. There's a different type of intimacy. There's a very healthy intimacy where you don't need another human being to experience the beauty of self. All you need to do is to learn how to really talk to God, how to pray to God, how to listen to God. That's the secret garden that Mary brings Collins into. That's what takes Collins from being a crippled to being a fully functioning, beautiful child. So when we talk about the godly soul, we're talking about A. I want to go over the class again, very short and brief, because it's got to be practical. In Chabad, we don't float out of the lecture. We walk out of the lecture with a lot of arguments and battling with self. So let's be practical here. We're talking about number one, quiet down your animalistic soul. Stop making noise so that you don't hear anything. It's okay to hear what's going on within you. It's okay to hear the child in the attic who's locked up. It's okay to hear the inner self of you that's not looking to kill you or turn you into some dumb, dull geek. Just looking to redefine the Madonna into a princess die crazy noise music into something that touches the soul. So the first thing to do is quiet down the party noise. It's okay. Then you have the second level. Once the intellectual soul is, has its breathing space, it will hear the inner child, the real godly soul, pure. It will hear its cries. It will hear its hunger pains. It will hear its thirst. And then the next step is bring that child into the garden. You got to feed appropriate food. You ever watch these funny movies where a guy finds an animal and doesn't know what to feed it and it's a whole mess? You got to know what to feed. The baby tiger needs a bottle of milk, not a nice steak. You gotta be gentle. You gotta stop thinking about me because this is new to me. So what do you want, Collins? What do you want, godly soul? What is your daily breakfast? Maybe the quick hit and run breakfast on the way out to business, to, to my business meeting, somewhere, you know, balanced on my hand as I'm putting on my eyeliner driving down the 95, Maybe that isn't what you want. So what do you eat for breakfast? Tell me. It'd be amazing to hear. All he wants is five minutes before you run out the door. Stop. Just stop. Put your hands together. Bow your head and say Moda'ani. Just take one minute to acknowledge my existence and that I come from God. That's all. That's all I want for breakfast. Can you do that for me? That's all it is. We're not talking about studying, giving up my social life. We're talking about finding one website, one Jewish website that talks to you. You know what? This is a website where I just enjoy 
the way they deliver the Dvar Torahs. Audio, video, reading, supplements for Collins, who's been locked up in your attic for so long. That's what the month of Elul is all about. The month of Elul is to quiet down the noise and get into the secret garden. That's all. That is what Elul is all about. You guys are fetching that Rosh Hashanah isn't the way it used to be. The only thing we hear now in Rosh Hashanah is they're selling aliyot. Everything's about money. It's not the way it used to be. It used to be so spiritual. It used to be so fun. Okay. If it's not what it used to be, make it what it used to be. You spend this month a little bit every day in the secret garden. And you'll have your own meaning to Rosh Hashanah. If there's someone who has the means to go ahead and buy an aliyah, by all glory, do it. Charity is powerful. But if not, you know what it means to connect with your secret garden. So just tune out that whole bidding. It's not talking to you. It's not what you have to offer. As of right now, money is not what you have to offer. So don't even be listening to that bidding. Go into your own secret garden. Do it for a month and you'll be able to do it in the high holidays. What are you hearing now? You're hearing your inner child talk. Don't get all bent out of shape that I can't raise my hand and offer $250,000 for the third aliyah. Don't worry about that. Get over it. You'll get your turn. Right now, high holidays is for you and your garden. Remember something you learned. Meditate on it until they finish all their biddings. I tell people all the time when they come to services here, I need to lead the show. I got to keep it on a certain pace. You don't. You find a certain piece of prayer that talks to you, take it, go into your secret garden, and go for the run. Just do the full gallop with your stallion. You don't need to keep up with me. I need to do what I need to do. And mind you, little secret, after everyone leaves, I usually sit down and start catching up because I had to race through. That's just what I have to do. That's what I dedicated my life to. You don't. You like a piece. Forget that I'm announcing page 54, page 86. Forget that. You're on page 32. There's a little paragraph there called Ms. Mashiach Hanukkah Tabayat. It just some reason talks to me. Okay. Take it. And where do you go with it? Into your secret garden. Take the moment. Meditate on it. Meditate on your soul rejuvenating. That's the beauty. But don't expect to wake up Rosh Hashanah morning and know how to do that. That's why you have the month of Elul. Practice. Practice quieting the Mishagas in your brain. And then practice letting your intellectual soul hear the fine cry of the godly soul. And then practice going with your godly soul into the garden. That's how it all works. People, thank you.